Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well. We know many of you are away for fall break, so we are glad that you're joining us online or in person today. We are starting a brand new series called Status, as you can tell. And the idea of status really comes from the idea that we all in this day and age, since the beginning of time, since the first sin entered the world, have struggled feeling comfortable in the skin we're in. And as a result, we're always looking for ways to say, somebody notice me, somebody, somebody pay attention, I'm here. Or and we get angry when people are doing something, or, and so we post something that's awful, and my status might be, I'm really mad because blah, 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 blah. Or, or we're overly happy because I just found out blah, blah, blah. And so we, blah, blah, blah. I don't know where that came from. The idea of status is this over-resounding, emphatic place where we feel like we have to tell everybody exactly how we're feeling so that they can either rejoice or correct their behavior to make sure that we feel valued as human beings. So as Christians, here's our our ultimate way we know we're valued. We find contentment in the idea that we are made in the image of God and that we have a purpose as a son or a daughter of the king. So that's where we're going the next three weeks, the idea of status. And today we're starting with everybody's favorite topic, equality. Now equality is found in the Bible. It's found in the little thing called the United States Constitution. And equality is something that we like to talk about a lot in this day and age. And let me give you a little spoiler. Here's how we like to practice equality. We like to practice equality like we like to practice grace. We want to receive grace We want to receive equality. We don't want to give it. Why? Because if you receive what I receive, then I might get gypped off. And so we like to be, once again, forgive us. I like to be forgiven. I don't want to forgive. I like to be treated with dignity and respect. But I don't want you to have to treat everyone with dignity and respect. So let's unpack this just for a moment because there's different ideas and definitions of the term equality. And for the sake of what we're talking about today, equality means equal. Do you always want to be treated equally? Let me give you this spoiler. You don't. You know how I know it? Because there's three-year-olds in the nursery right now being treated in a way I do not want to be treated. There's 98-year-olds in this world who are being treated in a way I don't want to be treated, not because they don't have dignity or value at 98, It's just they have different needs and expectations. If you're a man, you probably don't want to be treated like a woman. If you're a woman, you probably don't want to be treated like a man. Right? And you know the best way I know that we really don't want to treat everybody the same, that that equality across the board is not always as ideal as an idea as we think? There's this thing called sports. And last night, there was a, a, a little game that was played, right? Something about the... Purdue Boilermakers pulling off for the ninth time in the school history as an unranked team, beating the number two team in the land. The most of any unranked school. We could argue that's because we're usually unranked, but that's another story. (laughs) You know what I didn't find in any social media outlets last night? After Purdue won the game, they went everywhere and said, hey everybody, I was just as good as us. Right? No, it's like, we're awesome. We beat them. Boiler up. 
hammered down. We find our identity, and for a brief moment, it feels like our dignity is found because we stomped the other guy. Hear me, I love me some sports. But if our value is found on the ups and downs of the sporting world, can we all agree, as a Texas Longhorn fan, that does not always turn out well. Not supposed to be that interactive, okay? <laughs> and so the idea of equality is important. It is foundational. But we have to be careful how we apply it. So how are we to be equal? We are to be created, we are all created with equal dignity. I'm going to read to you now the scriptures I read the most in this church, and I will continue to read the most because it's foundational for who we are. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. So men and women were created in the image of God. This is a doctrine called the Imagio Dei. And this is super important because what it means is what differentiates you and me from the rabbits or even the soybeans that grow in the field, because the soybeans are alive, they grow, right? from any other living thing that has ever existed. What separates us is that you and I were made with the image of God. And what is implied by that is the idea that you and I were made to have a relationship. So we weren't just some different creature, creation, I combined two words there, creation and creature, and I couldn't think of so I created a word. We weren't made as some different creation, apart from this concept. No, we were made in the very essence, the image of who God is. Not that we're God, but the image to have a relationship. You were made with dignity, with purpose and value. And the good news of the gospel or the story of Christ is that we all have dignity. Who? Every one of us. And once again, we like the idea of dignity, right? I, I, I have value. I have purpose. I, God made my fingerprint, right? God made the number of eyelashes on my eyes. He gave me my personality and my humor. I'm sorry. He, he gave me all of these things. He gave me my red hair, which isn't as red as it used to be, and that's a sobering moment. But the reality is God made you the way you were supposed to be made. You were not an accident. And we love that. But we don't want equal dignity for everybody else. We don't like the idea of the guy in prison serving a life sentence for a heinous crime as being made in the image of God. Why? Because that somehow feels like my dignity is being diminished some. So what ends up happening is we have this game that we play that we're taught from little children, that when we walk in the room or we walk into a social setting, we immediately begin to gauge and compare and to weigh how does my dignity compare to those around me? Am I the alpha male in the room? Never for me, but that's okay. A am, I, am I the prettiest? Am I the smartest? Am I the quickest? had one kid at school. He was really short, and if you knew anything about him, his he, said, he would say, my name is Michael, and I can outrun you all. That's what he wanted to be known as, right? His dignity was how fast he was. He, dude was fast. What do you find your value in? What's, 
What are you going to post in your status that says this is what I'm, means I'm worth something? The reality is, you were made in the image of God, and as a follower of Jesus, this is where you should find your dignity. So here's how the story unfolds. Since the beginning of time, you were made with dignity, but as the sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, depravity, or what separated us, that icky feeling when you've done something bad that robbed you of feeling good about yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you remember the first time you did that as a little kid? Like, mom told you to do something and you just outright lied to mom, or you, you did what you weren't supposed to do, or you really disappointed dad. You know what I'm saying? That icky feeling, that's sin. And that's robbed us of our value because we did what we weren't supposed to do. So we weren't comfortable in the skin we're in. But the Father didn't leave us in our depravity. Instead, the Father sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And if you believe that He not only died on the cross, but was buried in the tomb. And that if you were to, and I were to go to that tomb today, you could go see that that tomb is empty. And if you believe that Jesus is alive, then if you believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead and is still alive, then you can have a relationship with Jesus, which means God's Spirit Himself, in the form of what we call the Holy Spirit, can dwell not only around us, but in you, with you, and give you your worth and your value and your dignity so that your value and dignity isn't dependent on your favorite sports team or the latest outfit you bought, right? Or how nice your house is or how clean your house is. Your value is because you were made in the image of God. We all have equal dignity even those people that we struggle with. So, does that mean we're supposed to say equal across the board? What does this mean? Well, we don't need to all be treated the same. We've already covered that. And one way, one example of how, as Christians, we are not all equal is we are not all created with the same responsibilities. We're not all created with the same responsibilities. In fact, I'm going to go another level that you may not anticipate coming there's a parable found in Luke chapter 12, the story of, 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 of a house owner who leaves, and he leaves his servants in charge, but he gives some more responsibilities than others, and when he comes back, he holds them to it. And here's what it says in Luke 12, 48b. For everyone who much has been given, who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Does it say, and everyone was given the same burden of responsibility? No. To everyone much has been given, much will be required. And the one who is entrusted more will have more held to their standard. So what does that look like? Well, some of you are like, whoo! I got off the map there because I haven't been given much. Well, did you show up here in a car today? Did you have enough food in your belly to where you're not really that hungry? Are you sitting in a comfortable chair in a heated slash air-conditioned room? Yep, you're all clothed. And I'm pretty sure all of you are wearing shoes. Some of you may have slipped them off. You don't think we notice? We do. 
but it's a judge-free zone, so as long as I don't smell it, don't care. You see, you actually have much more than you realize you have. The reason you don't feel like you have much is because we play the comparison game. Compared to Johnny down the road, my house is small. Compared to Susie down the road, I'm not whatever. We, we play this game, and, it, and this game ultimately robs us of our contentment because ultimately what we want in our contentment is to find value and worth. Child, you will find your value and worth when you understand that you were made to worship and dwell in the presence of God and you live out His purpose for your life. And yes, some of you will be given more. What are you doing with it? The goal of life isn't ye who gets to retire first wins. The goal of life should not be how much money can I leave my next generation. The goal of life shouldn't be who, who dies with the most toys or has the most vacations or, or has the most fame and notoriety. Because all of those things will fail. And there's always going to be someone who is above you and many below. And if you're trying to find where you fall in the pecking order, the frustration of contentment is that you will never be content because there is someone who will always have a better than you. But if we understand that we were all made with equal dignity, we can rest in the fact that God loves us where we are. So what are we to do with what God has given us? All believers have a responsibility to serve God with the gifts He has given us. And we have different gifts. Some of you have financial gifts. Some of you have teaching gifts. Some of you have the ability to hold a baby that is crying and not go insane. You are amazing people. We all have a responsibility to serve God with the gifts He has given us. So what does it look like to be faithful? Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them out into the vineyard for the day. And when he went about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever's right. So off they went, hi-ho, hi-ho. And about noon and about three, they went out again. And he went out and did the same thing. And then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. You also go into the vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. And when those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed, did you get this? They assumed they would receive more, but they also received the denarius each. And when they received it, they began to complain to a landowner. Can you see the Facebook post now? The last men went out in the hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. And he replied to them, friend, I'm doing what, what I'm doing is not wrong. Didn't you agree with me on one denarius? Take what's yours and go. And I want to give the last man as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do so? What I want with what is mine. Are you jealous because I'm generous? 
Hear that grace theme again? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, it's a great story, but let's put yourself in their shoes. For doing so, I have a little timeline. I just want to remind you and reiterate what's going on here. The first workers would have showed up at the marketplace around 6 a.m. So the expectation was they were going to work for a day's wage, which was a denarius. A good day's wage was a denarius. And they would have worked 12 hours. Well, then the next group came, the second shift, that worked only 10 hours. Now that's, that's two hours less, but it gets worse. There's another shift that came around about noon, and they would have only had to work half the time that the first group, or six hours. Math, kids, working on it. 3 p.m., they came out, and he went out again. And these people only would have had to work three hours. And then the, he showed up at 5 p.m. in the marketplace, and those people only had to work one hour. Now, if you're the person who worked one hour, you're sitting there going, life's great. And if you're the person who worked 12 hours, you're sitting there going, what about the equal treatment? Now, here's the important thing to understand. What was the wage? A denarius. No, no. What was the wage? A good day's pay, which was a denarius. So the people who had worked all day had gotten a good and fair day's wage. They agreed to that until the next guy comes along and gives them basically the same amount of money exactly the same amount of money, and all of a sudden they wanted more. What did they want? Two and a half weeks worth of salary for one day's work. Why? Because of the perception of how equality should be played out. I'm going to pause real quick and say the following. I'm going somewhere with this because a lot of times we feel about equality, but I want to state real clear if you're a person who's able to give graciously and generously, treat people equally. Dignity. Which means you should pay your workers the same. Man or woman, doesn't matter, right? Pay them the same. Treat others as you would want to be treated. You're welcome. Time back in. Okay, I felt a little like Zach Morris. Some of you will get that later. Okay, as we're unwrapping this, what I want you to see is what's going on here is they're sitting there going, from my view, is it possible that our view is wrong? You see, God's justice is not based on equality of reward, except for the eternal reward. But on earth, it's not true based on equality of reward. Rather, His justice is based on His economy. Wait, what's God's economy? Perfect question, I'm glad you asked. God's economy means the following. It comes from two words, okonimio. I didn't say that right, but that's okay. Okos, meaning house, so if you know anybody whose last name is Okos, tell them, can I, anyway. Okos means house, and nomos means law or administration. So God's economy is a household arrangement for the distribution of riches of a family member according to the household, according to Tom Smith. Translation, Daniel's words, God's economy means that he distributes to us according to his purpose and based on what we need. Are you excited about that? So let's, let's go back to the story. Why would the owner, who in this story represents God, not give 
the person who worked 12 hours, two and a half weeks worth of salary. Well, back in that day, the way they would have had their money is they wouldn't have taken their money and gone to the bank. They didn't have banks. So if they had that much money, you know what happened? The next day, they ain't showing up to work. They're going to the lake. You know what I'm saying? They're going to go have a party. They're going to go spend it. And so he's like, why would I give you two and a half weeks? I need laborers. And have you ever thought maybe God doesn't make you rich because you would be worth nothing? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe because you would check out of the world? God gives you what you need. Now, it doesn't take away from the fact that life is hard and life is more difficult for some people than others. Can we understand that? Working 12 hours in the field is more difficult. And to complicate things even more, the depravity, the sin of other people can exponentially make your life harder. And some of you have a hard life not because of your own actions, but because of the actions of your parents or the actions of an uncle or the actions of a teacher or the actions of a pastor. Man, I want to say I'm sorry. God doesn't cause those things to happen. But God, even in this moment, is trying to tell you He wants to make a way for you to find value and healing and meaning and dignity. Don't become bitter for how everybody else is, but rather see that God is showing up inviting you into his kingdom and inviting you to go back to work. You see, what this story really is is not about what you get to receive. It's a reminder that ultimately all of our jobs and our responsibility is to go into the field to bring in the harvest. That's the point. God gives so that you can work for him. And if he's giving you and, and you're trying to keep it for yourself, you're never going to find satisfaction. You're never going to find contentment. Hear me. Go to a game. Enjoy a nice meal. Buy yourself that nice outfit. I'm not saying those things are bad, but give God the glory in all of it. And if you can't, then don't. Do you understand? So his purpose for us is that we work to help bring in the harvest. And we are not serving God for us to receive a greater reward, right? God, I'm putting money in the offering plate so that, wink, wink, I can get a little more in my paycheck next time. The promotion's coming up. <laughs> How dumb do we think God is? God, I showed up at church this week. Wink, wink, can you help me to have a good week, right? We are not serving God for us to receive a greater reward, but so that more may find their eternal reward in a relationship with Christ. We are working to help other people find the equality of dignity that God has blessed us with. So yeah, there is no doubt some of us will have to work harder and longer. The 11th hour people, we're still looking for, looking for work though. That's why we do it. Do you realize that when Jesus found them at the marketplace, they were there because they were still hungry. 
They didn't have a way to eat that day. And likely they weren't going to eat unless someone was gracious enough to give them a day's wage, even in the 11th hour. So can you pray for the prisoner who's done horrible acts to receive the grace of God? Can you pray for that person you're divorced from to release that bitterness so that they can come to know Jesus and walk with Him? Can you pray for that difficult person in your life? Can you care for others? I was going to read another passage, but here let me sum it up. We're going to cover it again in a few weeks. Basically, it says some of us have different jobs. Some are called to be pastors, and some are called to be teachers. Some are called to rock the babies in the nursery, take a pie to the neighbor. It doesn't actually say all that in there. This is Daniel's interpretation. But here's the good part. Some are called to be pastors. That's me. Thank you for not all agreeing to be pastors because we'd had quite a king of the mountain on the stage today. It'd have been epic. But I want to be very clear. My calling has no more value as a human being than your calling. The role I wear as pastor is to bring in the harvest. And that's the same role and responsibility that you bear as a principal. As a guy on the line at Subaru. As a housewife. As a teacher. As a person who's working as a realtor. God wants you to use your strengths, your abilities for His glory. And that's where you'll actually find contentment doing a day's work for the King. Well, we'll rob you of that comparison. So here's our daily training. Our daily training this week is don't compare. It's easier said than done, right? How do we not compare? We share and care. Care and share. Either way. You care and you give yourself away is where you'll find the contentment you want that God wants you to have. Jesus knew we would struggle with this because human nature kicks in, so he gives us a reminder if our deacons would pass these out for those who can. If you don't have one of these, please raise your hand. If you're a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you to get one. We've got some up here. And you can go ahead and noisily raise them up here, right up in the middle section, Mr. Glenn. Go ahead and noisily break these open. I'm sorry they're noisy. But the reason that we do this is to remind ourselves of what God is doing for us. So as you take these out, there's, there's two parts. If you have a relationship with Jesus, we'd invite you to take this with us. If you don't, we'd ask you to sit this out. But this is a reminder that in our life, sometimes it will be hard. And when Jesus was gathered with the disciples, he was like, you know what? You're going to have to work hard. And many of them would ultimately give their life up for the sake of bringing in the harvest. But he said, don't, don't forget, you weren't the first one to do it, I am. My body will be broken for you. 
Take this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, my blood will be poured out for you. This is a reminder to live for me, to pour yourself out into others, to share and care. So take this as a remembrance of my blood and remembrance of me. And the Bible says, they sang a hymn and they went out to the harvest to get back to work. We sing, the reason this team is gathered here today is not for your amusement. It's not to entertain you but Chris and his team, when they put this stuff together, is designed in a way to soften our hearts in a posture for allowing God himself to continue to speak to us, to guide us, to guard us, to put us in a posture of hearing and caring. This is not the end of the service. Let's allow God to continue to speak to us so that then we are equipped and filled with the very presence of God to go out into the world to live for him as we do.